Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Allison. And I'm Meredith. And Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to remind people, if you remember from episode 48, which was back in May, we covered mm-hmm. the Bonnie Minter and Sheila Watson murder. Yes. Remember that? And I mentioned the judge, Richard Duranco. Yes. And I didn't, you know, I just said we're going to cover something to do with him. This is tonight's episode. Mara's going to start us off. All right, we're just going to get right into it because we hate banter. So we're going to start with Charles L. Coster, who was born in 1921, and he married a woman named Mary, and they had three children. Mary was a stay-at-home mom, and the family first settled in Brooklyn, New York, and then moved to Valley Cottage. I believe that's in Rockland County. Yes, it is. Charlie was an aircraft mechanic and machinist before enlisting in the Army Air Corps and National Guard. He was a New York City police officer from 1949 to 1969. And from 1971 to 1981, he was a security guard at Chase Manhattan Bank. When he retired in 1981, he and Mary moved to Bath, Pennsylvania. They lived in a trailer park, and all of his neighbors said he was quiet and barely said more than hello to them. He was a fitness buff who ran every day, and he and Mary separated in the mid-1980s, which is kind of weird, a little bit later in life. So, Carolee Coster was born in Brooklyn, New York, to Charlie and Mary. Kara Lee graduated from Lady Cliff College with honors and began teaching English and science at St. Paul's School. She worked in management at Chase Manhattan Bank from 1973 to 1980. During some of her time at Chase, the vice president was Alan Ross, specifically from 1978 to 1981, and Alan was also born in Brooklyn but grew up on a dairy farm in Yorktown Heights, New York. And he started out as a teacher and then moved to corporate jobs. Right. So this is Charles and Mary's daughter, Carolee. Gotcha. I was just going to ask, who's Carolee? Right. So her dad worked at Chase and she also worked at the same building. So they were there for some years together. Right. Okay. So in February 1979, Carolee and Alan Ross, so who was the vice president, started an affair. Alan was married. Alan and Carolee, so this is how the um, first encounter happened. They went to dinner at the Waldorf Astoria to discuss work. And after dinner and drinks, they ended up in his hotel room. In the sack. In the sack. And then they moved their soiree to Carol's apartment. So Alan's version of the night put Carolee as the initiator of course um, it did. They were in her uh, they were in his hotel room to get something and while he was in the bathroom she got naked, made advances towards him. Anyway, so they started an affair. <laughs> Bullshit. Okay, but, go ahead. You know, this is February. So by the spring, Carolee was telling people that she was in love with him. She also told his brother that. I I guess they were at something okay. together. Um, he okay. got her a princess ring, which I'm interpreting maybe as like a promise ring. I don't know what what would a princess ring. Is that like a thing? Well, he got her a ring. And we all know what a ring means. It's some kind of a promise. 
Now, so now Alan's going through a divorce and he had kids. So custody is an issue. And right. his divorce attorney is going to advise him to end his relationship with Carol Lee because if his soon-to-be ex-wife finds out about it, she could use it against him right. in the court proceedings. So in June 1979, he ended their sexual relationship. And at this point, Carol Lee's pretty pissed and she's threatening to tell his wife or his, or his boss about the affair. So they were together February to, let's say, June... What is that? Five months? Carolee seemed, while she was at Chase, she seemed to have a steady increase in her job titles and positions and her salary around the end of her employment there. So she does end up leaving Chase. So in April of 1980, she's offered another position reporting to someone else. So she's not going to report to Alan anymore. And she turned down that job. Okay. That was the only job they had available that she was qualified for, so she was terminated, and that was effective July 31st, 1980. Shortly hmm. after that, Alan's employment with Chase was also terminated. Hmm. Okay, so I, I know it's a lot of work stuff, but I just want to summarize, because this is important, her employment okay. and salary and her relationship with Alan Ross, because the timing of that is going to be part of... So what you're saying is I have to pay attention. Well, you you just have to get the gist, right? (laughs) So she's hired by Chase in 1973. In 1976, she was given a raise and was earning about 18,000. So she got raises in 1977, 78, twice in 1979, and 1980. Her salary went as high as $29,000. Okay. Now, back then, that was... A good salary. Yes, that was a great salary. Now, not right. But but I just want people to remember that we're talking 70s here. Right. Her relationship with Alan started in February 1979 and ended in June of 79. She got one raise during the affair and two raises after it had already ended. So it's not like... shut her up. (laughs) Well, it's also not like she was punished... Right. For the affair ending. Okay. On September 25th, 1980, Carolee hired an attorney and went to Chase with sexual harassment and discrimination claims. Now, she didn't name Alan Ross as the perpetrator or the harasser. She just went to them and said that she had been harassed and was being discriminated against. She thought she should be making more. She thought she should have gotten a promotion and not offered... You know, they offered her one position, take it or leave it. And she didn't want that one. She wanted a higher up position that they didn't think she was qualified for. So she files with Chase September 1980. And that's basically just seeing if they'll resolve it. Right. But they don't. On February 23rd, 1981, Alan gets married. And this is a woman that he was dating after the affair with Carolee ended. Hmm. Now, shortly after Carolee learns of his marriage, more specifically on August 12th, 1981, she files her lawsuit against Chase and Alan Ross. Hmm. Okay. Part of her complaint alleged that Alan Ross demanded and received sexual favors from her in exchange for employment, security, and benefits. She further said that when she refused to continue providing sexual favors, 
Alan Ross caused her to be denied salary increases and a transfer to another department within the bank, and that he was instrumental in the termination of her employment. So now she's focusing on him. Mm. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. Right. Because she was getting salary increases the whole time. And if, in fact, you were providing sexual favors, I'm going to shut up. Blah, 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 blah. It's a super short (laughs) amount of time. She was getting salary increases up to the point of the affair, during the affair, and after. So I'm not sure how it's connected to Alan. But anyway. But is she admitting here that she was providing sexual favors and then refused? So she's kind of admitting here that she went along with it. Well, she was... Because it says she contends that when she refused to continue. Right, but I think he had told her, you know, there's only one way you're going to get ahead here. But she was getting ahead the whole time before. That's a bad choice of words. (laughs) I was just going to say, she wasn't the only one. Mm. We'll cut that out. Go ahead. Nah, we will not. So there were years and years of motions and delays. In total, the lawsuit lasted seven years. She went through three lawyers and in the end, uh huh, mm-hmm. represented herself. How many times have we said not to do that? Well, anyway, Chase offered Carol Lee a large settlement of $300,000, which she turned down after thinking about it for two days. By now, Carol Lee's parents were separated. Her father, Charlie, retired from Chase and, as we said before, lived in a trailer in Pennsylvania. Her mother was basically her legal assistant, and this lawsuit consumed their lives and their finances. And on March 23rd, 1988, the suit went to trial. The presiding judge was Richard J. Duranco. Tell us a little about him. I'll tell you a little bit about him. He uh, came up in another one of our cases. But Richard Duranco was 56 years old in 1988. He grew up in Pelham, New York. He went to Providence College. He married Joan O'Rourke in 1957, and they had five children together that they raised in his hometown of Pelham. He attended Albany Law School and also uh, served in the U.S. Army. His career started out as an associate at a local law firm in White Plains, New York. Hmm. Then he was a family court judge, a county court judge, a state Supreme Court judge, and in 1986, he submitted his application to be a federal judge. President Ronald Reagan appointed him as a federal judge in 1987, and in the beginning of May 1988, he said in an interview, I like the idea of being judgmental rather than being an advocate. I like the idea of a search for the truth. I wanted to be a judge since the first day of law school, and I just feel as though I'm one of the luckiest people around that my dream became reality. Duranco always mentioned that he lived in Pelham, and his staff warned him to make his phone number and address unlisted, to which he replied, if they really want you, they'll find you. Okay. Okay. So during the trial, Carolee's father, Charlie, was asked to leave the courtroom on several occasions. He was being disruptive. Um, he would make, this is, I would probably do this as well, 
obvious facial expressions like reacting to testimony and stuff like that and at time he would I hope I wouldn't do this laugh out loud or make some sort of comment so okay. he was you know warned a bunch of times and then he was asked to leave a few times Carolee's mother acted like her legal assistant Right. Carolee was representing herself at this point, and, and he was more like the errand boy, like he would fetch them coffee or make copies or whatever they needed done. So on May 19th, 1988, after a 10-day trial, Judge Duranco dismissed all of the claims against Alan Ross and Chase. Hmm. He said that there was not any credible evidence to support Carolee's claims. He was concerned about a reaction from Carolee or her family because they seemed a little, you know, off, a little interesting. But he really didn't expect what ended up happening. Mm. Okay. I don't think I'm expecting this either. I know. I don't think you are either. On May 20th, 1988, Charles Coster drove from Pennsylvania to Pelham. The next day, on May 21st, he drove to within a few blocks of the judge's Corona Avenue home in Pelham. He actually parked at a local cemetery, and then he walked a few blocks to the judge's house. Now, the judge was gardening in his yard. Charlie approached him. He raised his 38 caliber revolver and shot the judge once in the chest. Oh... Now that shot spun him around and Charlie fired three more shots, two of which hit him in his back and his thigh. The judge yelled to his neighbors, I need help. I need help. As he ran and stumbled into his house. Now at this point, his wife, daughter and a family friend were inside the house. And hearing all of this, his wife ran into the kitchen and she saw the judge run through the house and she saw Charlie coming right after him. And she tried to hold the kitchen door closed, but he overpowered her and continued chasing the judge. And he was shouting, I'm going to get him as he ran through the house. So Duranco didn't realize it, but he was bleeding pretty profusely. And he tried to barricade himself in his study, but he ended up just collapsing in there and dying. Oh, my God. Then Charlie turned the gun on himself. And shot himself in the head. Oh. He did leave a suicide note which talked about how he had spent his life savings on his daughter's lawsuit and that this was vengeance for the ruling. Now, during the trial, right, he had to hear all about the sexual encounters that his daughter had with Alan Ross and then to hear all that as a father and then to hear that nobody believed her, basically. He was just enraged and... Which is kind of weird because he was in the military, he was a police officer, he was a security guard, he, you know, right. he's supposed to protect, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody predicted that this would happen. He no, was acting I mean, oddly, but even his neighbors were like, he was, you know, fine enough, hello, whatever, like nothing crazy. Right. Well, there's a big difference between, you know, sitting in the courtroom and making comments or smirks and and then shooting and killing the judge. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand what makes somebody do that. They said this literally consumed his life. 
this lawsuit. I think it's seven, eight years that this is seven That's years. That's ridiculous. This was going I know. Just I don't know. I probably would give up at, at some point. And listen, it, it here's the thing. It's not like, and I'm I'm going to get crucified for this, but it's not like this is a man. Uh, like, okay. Mm-hmm. Take a breath. Choose your right. words carefully. It's not like somebody murdered somebody or somebody, you know, kidnapped and killed a child or it was an affair and a sexual harassment thing. And so I, 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 I totally understand that this consumed him, but it, I don't know. I, I, it's, it, I could understand somebody reacting that way if it were that kind of a trial. And somebody who did something horrible and horrendous walked free. Mm-hmm. And then I could understand him saying, all right, I'm going to kill this judge. Not that it's right, but you can understand maybe the thought process. But for a sexual harassment case? Right. And I'm sure they're very damaging and very upsetting yes. if they really happen. But if you're in the courtroom and you're paying attention... And there's much more to this case. Um, You know, Alan had no control over her employment status, her position, her raises. He he wasn't the head person that did that. It was someone above him. Right. Like, if you're there and you're paying attention, he really had no way to punish her the way she said he was punishing her. And she was saying, you know, that he treated her poorly at work. And everyone there said, if anything, he was very protective of her. If you're you're listening, it's 10 days of a trial. That's a lot of testimony. Right. Right. And listen, I'm not I'm not taking away from, you know, whatever. She felt the way she felt. She felt as if she was, you know, harassed and discriminated against. And but seven, eight years of that. Yeah, I, I guess it could drive you batty. Right guy had no prior record of being violent or you know having the capacity to do something like that and then bam he does it I mean it's just strange and and you would think I mean how many court cases to judges here a day and this happens Mm -hmm. you never think that someone's going to do that unless it is a horrific or brutal crime that somebody gets away with I, you know what I think of when you say that? I don't know why I did a little, like, giggle talking to you there. Shit, what was the name of that movie? A Time was to it? Kill? Yes. I was just going to say it mm-hmm. was Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. No, it's not him. Yes, it is. Yes. Is it him? It's A yeah. Time to Kill when he goes and he should, like, you can understand his reaction because of the brutal crime Correct. against his daughter. Right. But, you know, and this wasn't even the guy who committed the crime. Well, I will say that it would have made, and I'm not encouraging this response either, but it would have made more sense to me to do like a, I don't know, send a package bomb to Chase headquarters or, you know what I mean? Like, or attack Allen or something Mm. like that, because the judge is also only getting the information presented there. I don't know. Not that any response besides that sucks. Right, right. Is is appropriate. Well, well, you know, listen, his response is obviously not appropriate. And if it were a violent crime, it wouldn't be appropriate either. 
but there's more understanding and in your mind you you can say all right well i i understand why he's so upset Mm -hmm. doesn't condone what he did but i understand why he's upset right so um all right well in the judge's memory the westchester county courthouse was renamed after him as was a building in his hometown of pelham and just a little Mm. Side note, Joan, his wife, passed away in her sleep on February 11th, 2002. So I said that this was not really connected, but to the Bonnie Minter, Sheila Watson murders. Mm -hmm. He was the judge in that case. We've been speaking to Bonnie Minter's son, the perpetrator in that crime, Samuel Ayala, Mm -hmm. was granted parole in September. Wow. So... That's just a little segue into a little update on that case. I can't believe he was granted parole. Uh, Well, this was an interesting and unfortunate case. Um, And uh, unpredictable. I thought we were, I thought for sure something was going to happen to either the guy or somebody at Chase. I did not think that the father was going to kill the judge. So, yes, we'll be back in two weeks with another case. Yes, we will. And that's it. That's it. Nefarious New York. Wait, and from I'm 19- interrupting you. I'm sorry. I forgot to tell you this. Remember last one? It was petite larceny. Yeah. It's petty larceny. That's how that's pronounced. <laughs> that's, that's why I took it out. <laughs> I was oh, like, oh, my larceny. God. Are we stupid? Oh, God. Losers. Okay, anyway. Go ahead. Okay by chase in 1973 through through <laughs> so she was hired by chase and he married joan o'rourke or he married he married he married joan o'rourke okay so during the trial which as we said was very long oh wait the trial wasn't long never mind so during the trial (laughs) he said that why am i why didn't i look up how to say that i think it's scintilla scintilla i think it's just scintilla Hold on. Do you want me to look it up? Uh, I'll just say, no, I'll just say he said that there was, there wasn't any credible evidence. I'll just say that. Uh, okay. He said that there, there wasn't... was not a chinchilla <laughs> of evidence. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> not a chinchilla of credible evidence oh god (sighs) okay in this case it was the judge exactly that said there was not a chinchilla (laughs) (laughs) there is not a chinchilla in my mind that would have made me think (laughs) okay whatever you say (laughs) (laughs) 